0: This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is sponsored by OmniSend. OmniSend is an e-commerce marketing service, and they're on a mission to make e-commerce accessible to everyone. That means they're making it easier for small and medium-sized businesses to get new customers and start making sales right off the bat. We use OmniSend at Pick Up the Six. I just got done sending out an email blast to our supporters. And so we're very thankful for the ability to do that. Their marketing automation tools take care of those time-consuming and repetitive tasks. Again, I love their platform. It's super intuitive, really easy to use. They have great email templates. And that drag and drop is just so great. You don't have to be a web coder to use it anyone with a great idea an interesting product and some business sense can now compete with the big guys are you ready to start increasing your sales but not your workload visit omnisend.com and learn more today her a10 warthog had been shot up but despite a football size hole in the horizontal stabilizer she avoided having to bail out today we get to meet colonel kim casey campbell a command pilot with over 1,700 hours in the A-10, including 375 combat hours. Strap in and let's hear her story on this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. Colonel Campbell, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I am fired up about this one, excited to hear your story, hear your journey, talk about that incredible day and and what that mission was like and and all that went into it, uh, but just excited. Your story came across a feed on some social media platform I was on. I was like, oh, I got to find out a little bit more about Casey Campbell and see if we can't have her join us on Pick Up the Six. Obviously, the son of a fighter pilot myself, uh, I'm into these kind of stories and, and want to share it. And I actually texted my dad the other day. He said, We landed uh Casey Campbell, she's gonna be on the show. Check out the story. He's like, Oh, that sounds amazing. So excited to get into. So thank you <laughs> first and foremost.
1: Absolutely.
0: I want to get to know you a little bit and and talk about that journey uh into the Air Force. And I know it's one that is uh is started and born out of service before self in your family and and your father. And and so take me back into to the early days and, and how you end up at the Air Force Academy.
1: Sure. Um, It's, I think for me, it's a bit of an interesting story because I didn't really have any interest in the military or flying until um, when I was in fifth grade and watched the Challenger accident. Mm. And for me, there was something that connected with that, realizing that the astronauts died doing something that they believed in, something that was more important than themselves. Um, And I really just connected with that. And so I talked to my parents about it and we had lots of conversations about what it meant and what they were doing. And I decided that that was what I wanted to do. I, was, I wanted to be an astronaut and uh, talk to my dad who had been in the military. And he said, well, most astronauts go to the Air Force Academy and uh, are, or at least pilots. And so that might be something you might wanna consider I'm not sure he actually thought I was going to go after it as much as I did. Um, but uh, I showed him that that was what I wanted to do. And from that point, my life just completely pivoted. And in fifth grade, I mean, I went from the point of not really being interested in school to really working hard in school. And I set a goal and I, I went after it. And so uh, it was a turning point for me.
0: You're 13 years old. You join the Civil Air Patrol. You take yes. your first solo flight when you're 16 years old so that love of flying must have really kind of hit you pretty quick then if you're talking fifth grade right it's about that yeah that timeline how quickly did you realize that being in the air and being a part of that was just something you really gravitated towards I mean you talked about right having that want and desire to do it but once you really got to do it.
1: Yeah, I realized how much I loved it. I mean, I got the opportunity in Civil Air Patrol to fly. I got the opportunity to wear a uniform and learn a little bit about the Air Force. And I realized how much I loved the leadership side of it. I love the service side of it. And so for me, it was just I had found my passion and my love for you know flying and I got the opportunity to do it at a young age. And so it just built from there. And so everything at that point, I was, my sight was 100% on the Air Force Academy and becoming a fighter pilot.
0: Those Civil Air Patrol uh, squadrons and wings across the country do really, really neat, uh, really powerful work for young people who are interested in this. So if parents are listening, or even if kids are listening to this episode, and and it sounds like something they're interested in, what's your recommendation related to going and finding one of those and, and getting tied into it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find Civil Air Patrol um, uh, squadrons in, in cities throughout the United States. Uh, it's a great opportunity to to try something out and, and meet some great people. I have friends from Civil Air Patrol that are friends for life, um, but it gave me a chance to, to try something before I really committed to it. Uh, And um, yeah, you can look it up online and find a a location near you. And they have summer programs and different activities. You can do everything from leadership type things to emergency services and flying. It's just a really great opportunity uh, for kids to take a look at something that they're interested in. What
0: was that first solo flight at 16 like? (laughs)
1: Uh, It was frightening and terrifying when my instructor uh, got out of the airplane. She surprised me a bit and she said, you're ready. And uh, it was at San Jose International Airport. And so I remember taxing behind, you know, United Airlines, big airplanes. And here's my little Cessna just, you know, taxing in behind. Um, not sure they were the best landings ever, but they were safe. And I walked away from them. So uh, we'll call those good landings. But it was exciting to be on my own. Um, yeah. And, you know, I had I worked at it and i it was something I could do and to to actually go do it and know that I had you know made um, a step towards doing you know accomplishing my dream of being a fighter pilot was really cool you
0: guys remember being 15 16 years old uh worried about having a parallel park <laughs> for, a,
1: yeah. for a driver's <laughs> license exam uh
0: Kim's up there flying a Cessna by herself so you know maybe get a little perspective as to what <laughs> stress uh you know uh would feel like uh a legacy right for the air force academy tell me a little bit about a little bit about that
1: sure yeah my dad uh graduated from the air force academy in 1970 he only spent five years in the air force so i didn't really grow up as an air force brat i didn't get to experience what that lifestyle was like um but i heard about it really after i decided to go to the academy i didn't really know much about it until i made that decision and then my dad um decided that he would help me prepare and be ready for it. I think he knew how hard it would be. And, you know, at the time that he was at the academy, there were no women. And so I think there was part of him that it was really hard for him to see his little girl Mm -hmm. going after this goal um, because he knew it was going to be hard. And so he was 100% committed to making sure I was ready. Uh, He installed a pull-up bar in the bathroom so I could get better at doing pull-ups. We ran the hills together in San Jose in combat boots. I'm sure our neighbors were just like (laughs) (laughs) thinking probably that my dad was, you know, punishing me for something, but this was something that I wanted to do. Uh, And so that was really nice to have that support from my dad. Um, As a grad, he knew what it was like. He wanted me to be ready and he was my biggest supporter.
0: Neither thought you were being punished or like, what are they preparing for that we don't know (laughs) about? What
1: are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: And I think history was made, right? So you were uh, a cadet wing commander and I believe at the time, because he was as well the first father daughter duo to serve as cadet wing commanders it's pretty cool
1: it is it is a really cool legacy and it's fun uh, to walk back through the hallway at the academy they have pictures of all the cadet wing commanders and to be on the same wall with my dad is is really neat i mean it's a it's a really tough job because you're in charge of all 4000 cadets and so it was nice to have him to talk to about it when I was learning about leadership and going through leadership struggles. My dad, you know, could talk me through some of the things that he went through as well.
0: Yeah. Upon leaving the academy, commissioning into the Air Force, what's the journey to the A ten look like for you?
1: So for me, I went to grad school right away after the academy, which was a nice little break. Um, I spent two years in the United Kingdom studying, um, which was a, a tremendous opportunity as a Marshall Scholar to to do something a little different and learn about other cultures and um, just get out and explore and travel and do some of those things. So that was fantastic. At the same time, though, I was anxious to get to pilot training. I was listening to all my friends who were there. They were getting their selections, and I was really anxious to get there. So I finally got there um, a couple of years after I graduated from the academy and started my pilot training journey.
0: Awesome awesome all right let's go to april 7 2003 we tease it yeah. at the top of the show <laughs> obviously there's a lot that happens throughout your career uh, but this story is one that uh sounds like it's got some pretty epic details to it so you're flying missions over baghdad you receive a call it's an urgent call for air support uh, for troops in contact what happened when you arrived overhead
1: um when i arrived overhead we couldn't see anything because the, the baghdad was covered in clouds and so we had no idea if we were going to be able to support. And we, you know, we knew that there was this troops in contact situation and we were going to do everything we could to get down below the weather to support our troops on the ground. And so my flight lead found a hole in the weather and just disappeared through. Uh, and then he he uh, made a radio call and he said, OK, Casey, it's your turn. Come on down below the weather. And uh, I found a hole in the clouds, dove down through. And then immediately I could just see this firefight. It was It was surreal, I think, because you talk about it, you train for it, but popping down below the weather, I could just see, I I could see the Tigris River below me. I could see um, flashes and smoke just going back and forth across the river, and we were very low, and so it was kind of a sight that I hadn't seen before based on our altitude, and immediately, my flight lead was set up, getting ready to um, employ um, our 30 millimeter Gatling gun on the enemy location. So it all happened very, very quickly. But as all of this is happening, I also start seeing these puffs of smoke, um, this time next to my cockpit, you know, bright flashes. And so I realized that not only is there a firefight happening across the river between um, our friendlies and the Iraqi Republican Guard, but now they're also shooting at us. And so immediately I realized that you know kind of the the stakes that are involved and and the high threat nature of the situation.
0: It's the one thing about the A ten, right? Uh, and maybe explain it a little bit for our listeners. You know what it's able to do, the capabilities that it's ha- it has, the ability to go so low and to provide that level of support. Um, it, it is different than most other. Fighters, right? Explain to to our listeners just what that thing is able to do in that close those close quarters of combat, that close to the ground.
1: Sure, the A ten was specifically designed to provide close close air support to our troops on the ground, and so that meant building the airplane around a thirty millimeter Gatling gun. Uh, it's nineteen feet long. The airplane was built to take hits, so. Uh, The pilot actually sits in a titanium bathtub, uh, which protects the pilot from enemy fire. Um, Our um, fuel tanks are enclosed in protective foam lining. All of the systems are redundant. Uh, It was really built to get down low to support our troops on the ground. So it's exactly what we were designed to do. Uh, and it's an amazing airplane in terms of providing close air support. It's our primary mission and it's absolutely what we train to do. It's our bread and butter and we do it better than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, that is, we really do. Uh, and so we were the right airplanes for that situation in that moment.
0: It's a badass plane. I mean, it, it's, right? it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it is. <laughs> different, right? It's just loud, right? You hear those guns coming. What's the enemy thinking when that thing comes plowing at them?
1: Uh, you know, we've heard lots of stories. We hear kind of secondhand from our our ground troops that there's no better noise than that of an A-10 overhead because it's unique and the enemy knows it too. And so a lot of times all we need to do is just be overhead. Um, and that's it. That's enough to deter the enemy from attacking our troops. In this case, it was a little different. The fight, the firefight had already started when we got there.
0: So at some point, uh, you get shot up, that thing gets shot up, uh, your A10 gets shot up. And and all right, we gotta, we gotta one provide the support we need to, but we gotta get this thing out of here, right? Putting this thing down on the ground in Iraq, in Baghdad, having to punch out like that, that to you is not an option. Take me into that moment.
1: Yeah, that was not an option. Uh I had come off from my last pass and we were uh the A-10 is is known for being a little bit of a pig. I mean, it's got uh, we're, we carry a lot of weapons, um, and uh, so we were struggling to get back up to altitude and get our energy back. And I, at, I just felt and heard a loud explosion at the back of the airplane, and I knew immediately what had happened. There is no doubt in my mind. Uh, I think it's a bit like getting rear-ended at high speed um, from a car uh, driving down the highway or something. It just it dumped the airplane over. I remember looking down, and I could see Baghdad below. I remember pulling back on my control stick and absolutely nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of one of those moments where everything happened very quickly, but I felt like I had a lot of time to just, I looked at everything. I remember, you know, seeing the ground getting closer, looking down at my ejection handles and thinking that that was absolutely the last thing I wanted to do to eject over Baghdad, right where we had just been strafing the enemy. I just did not think that that would turn out well for me. And so um, I knew that like in that moment, I just had to do everything I could to get the airplane back under control and at least over friendly territory.
0: You know, we talked to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson about the critical role he played in Operation Red Wings in going Uh in and flying the Pave Hawk helicopter that rescued Marcus Luttrell. And he talks about that moment that happened in the span of 10 to 15, max 30 seconds, where they almost brown out, they almost dropped the Pave Hawk off the side of a cliff in this critical moment to rescue Marcus, but him feeling like it was like two minutes.
1: Yeah. That's
0: how long it took. It yeah, like it took a very me 20
1: similar. seconds. It was 20 seconds from the point that I got hit to the point that I engaged our backup emergency system. Um, and it was just so many things happening, um, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, letting my flight lead know, analyzing everything in the cockpit, all the lights, everything's flashing at me and my systems aren't working. And um, it it's almost like time slowed down to allow me to analyze it. But what really happens is that we train for those moments. And so all that training and everything that we do in advance prepares us to respond in those moments. So it's almost like time slows down because we're prepared. we're ready. And uh, I was able to analyze very quickly what was going on and very quickly realize I really only had one option other than ejecting. Uh, and that was to engage our backup emergency system, which again, the A time was built to take hits. So we have a backup system. And I was able to switch it over to, it's called manual reversion. And it allows you to fly the, the airplane in kind of its backup manual old school flying mode.
0: It's incredible. Um, it is. What ultimately happened on the ground that day? What was, what, was there a major outcome of, of that event? Um, what what ended up happening as you're kind of leaving after all this goes down?
1: Well, we let our, our ground troops know we had already done about, uh, we had done two passes each on the enemy location. And so at the point that we were climbing out, they were, the enemy had already kind of pulled back. Um, it was still really hard for me. I felt like we were leaving our troops in a moment where um, they needed us. And we certainly would have stayed longer if we could, but at that point, uh, my airplane was not in a position to stay. And and, and quite honestly, a downed aircraft is only gonna make the situation worse. Yeah. Uh, and so we really needed to get back um, one out of Baghdad, right? Because that was where the fighting was happening. That was where the intense conflict was happening. So we really needed to get out of Baghdad because at this point, we weren't sure what was going to happen to my airplane is it was it going to be able to, to limp back to our home base or did we just need to get to somebody somewhere where there were more friendlies and then we could eject or I could eject. Yeah, where did, you end up?
0: Where, where did you end up with it?
1: I ended up in Kuwait, which was our, our base that we were operating out of. And um, I was able to fly the 300 miles. It was about an hour of flight time back to the, our, our home base. How
0: was that flight?
1: Um, the longest <laughs> hour of my life. Um, I think it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to stay focused. I mean, I did, I had to, but I knew there was a possibility that I could crash. I mean, I, at the time I, I really had at this point, now that my airplane was flying, I had two choices. I could get it back to Kuwait and then eject and then the rescue helicopters would come get me or I could get it back to friendly territory and attempt to land. And part of the struggle with that decision was that landing in manual reversion is not something that we train to do. Uh, it's not something that's been done many times before it um, in fact, it had been done three times during Desert Storm. And we lost a pilot on the first attempt. Um, he was killed in the crash. Um, and then we lost an airplane in the second attempt. And then the third attempt, um, the pilot was able to land successfully, very similar damage to mine. And so I, I, I knew about these things. So I knew there was risk involved. So making that decision was a, a um, real internal struggle for me of trying to figure out what was the right decision. And and um, but I have an hour, an hour to fly it back and think about it and talk to my flight lead. Uh, and uh, really just get a feel for how the airplane was flying.
0: The next day you're back in the air in another a 10 flying on search and rescue missions for your heroism supporting the friendly unit on the ground. And that skill of recovering the aircraft, you're awarded the distinguished flying cross with that V. Uh, yeah. Uh, just reflecting on it, you've had a lot of years to think about. I know you've talked about it quite a bit, uh, and probably presented on it, and and even brought it to students, right? In the work that you've done yeah. at the Air Force Academy, just reflect on it a little bit. Just you know, all these moments in your career, but there is this one that you know becomes um, a, a big moment for you. How much yeah. you
1: think about that? Um, you know, it was af- absolutely a life changing moment for me. I think for many reasons, it put put life in perspective when you have a, a, an experience where you, you may not survive. It puts life into perspective for you. I think in terms of being awarded the distinguished flying cross, I mean, there's always in that moment, I mean, certainly I was, um, so proud of my team and everybody that had contributed to that, but it's always the question of, am I worthy of that? I, I think you look back to all the people that were awarded it and, and different conflicts and it's, you know, am I worthy for that type of honor? I think Um, really what means the most to me out of all of this is looking back and being able um, to support our troops on the ground. And those moments of getting a a note left for me from some troops in Baghdad that said, you know, thanks for saving us today over Baghdad. This morning, a coincidence, I I got an, um, an email from a woman whose dad was in Iraq. And she said, my dad has told me this story so many times and I had heard about it. And today she's figured out that it was me and that I was overhead providing support and, you know, allowed her dad to get home safely. And she just thanked me for it. And those are the things like, that really are the reason why I've absolutely loved Um, this job and why I've loved what I do.
0: Those are the things that mean the most to me more than anything. Wow. Chicken skin over here, right? Goosebumps. Yeah, Uh, I know. That's incredible. (laughs) It's incredible, but you know, it it goes to show the larger story. You talked about the beginning about being part of something that is so much bigger than yourself, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you had a job to do that day and I know you uh, took it with a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of training that went into it. Those guys and gals on the ground, right? Those guys on the ground engaged in that firefight, right? Engaged in that, had a job to do as well. So being part of that thing, and I know you're humble about it. So just, first of all, just thanks for, for sharing it and talking through it. And that's amazing to hear that story. And you got that note today of all the days when we're going to sit I know. and talk about this. <laughs> the way that works out,
1: isn't it? It's wild. Yeah, It's, you know, I, I think... Any A-10 pilot out there will tell you that we have a special bond with the troops on the ground. We learn about what they do. We understand about what they do. So in those moments when they need us, we're willing to take the extra risk. I mean, we're in an airplane surrounded by titanium, and we have a 30-millimeter Gatling gun. And so we're willing to take those risks. We know what we're capable of doing. We train to it. And so we want to help them get home safely. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, making a difference, um, saving lives. And, you know, to get those notes, to get the feedback. I mean, to, I think that's really what it's all about. Yeah,
0: that's pretty awesome. All right. Conventional wisdom would tell me, Kim, Casey Campbell, they just took your first initial and your last <laughs> initial and just... Called you KC, but I know there's a little bit more to it. So tell us what KC stands Yeah,
1: there always is more to every call sign out there. So, um, yeah, the, the call sign uh, KC, it's easy because it just sounds like it's my initials, but it actually stands for killer chick, uh, which is, uh, you know, that's too long to put on a name tag or to, to say, uh, you know, to, to use in conversation. So we've just shortened it to KC, but uh, every pilot gets a call sign uh, I was, I was one of the only, well, I was the only female in my fighter squadron when I showed up. So killer chick seemed appropriate for a, a female fighter pilot flying an A-10. Um, you know, I, I say female fighter pilot. I actually <laughs> I hate that terminology. I'm just yeah. a fighter pilot. Uh, and the guys in the squadron really came to, um, appreciate that, especially after this mission. I mean, I, I think, a a blessing in some ways. I proved myself very early in my career that I could handle a tough moment, that I could you know, that I could perform well in combat. I think that made all the difference for me and really set the stage for the rest of my career um, to be able to to do some incredible things and and lead amazing people. Um, it's really been a a tremendous ride looking back on 24 years of service. Yeah,
0: and those 24 years of service that just wrapped up and yeah. uh, officially uh, retired from the air force. So thank you so much for those 24 years. This is a new, a new journey, right? A new phase. In it is. Your life, but, but and I'm
1: excited on, for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's um, you know, it's when you've committed yourself to one thing for so long, you know, it is a little bit hard to leave. But I, um, I'm excited for what's next. I'm excited to um, start the next chapter, chapter. I'm excited to spend a little bit more time with my family,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it's exciting. You think you'll find
0: opportunities to keep flying a little bit?
1: Uh, perhaps I think I'd love to get an airplane and have my own airplane, and then uh, be able to fly uh, on my own a little bit and take my kids up to fly. I think that would be a lot of fun.
0: Well, it's something that happens quite a bit around your family, right? So your husband as well.
1: Uh, he as is well. also a pilot. Yeah, he he spent uh, 25 years in the service. He just retired last year, also flying A10s. Uh, and so it's been a it's it's been really fun for both of us. We've been able to experience a lot of things together and share a lot of things uh, with our kids.
0: Yep, and here comes the next the next journey, right? The next yeah. the next phase of that. It's exciting, really cool.
1: Yeah, that's my intent. I want to get out and share my story. I think you know, I learned I've learned a lot of lessons, not just from this mission. I mean, I have had the opportunity uh, to command and lead people and in, in squadron and group level, which is roughly fifteen hundred people, and it's just been a tremendous journey. And I feel like I've learned a lot along the way, and so I'd like to share that. So. I'm working on a book and uh, that will include this story as well as many others and, uh, and planning to do some public speaking to share the story and really get some messages out.
0: Well, keep us posted on that as the book takes shape. We'd love yes. to, to circle back and and have you back and talk about what that process will be like and and uh, and help you promote it a little bit as it gets going. So incredibly grateful uh, for you taking the time uh, as you ride off into the sunset after this Air Force career into the next phase. But to, to share about that day, that amazing event, it happened but then all the other pieces that play along the way thanks for having me she's colonel kim casey campbell i'm brian jodas and this has been pick up the six podcast